Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Zach Glazer. And I'm Laura Briggs, and this is episode 322 of The Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Delisi Friday about the do's and don'ts of legal marketing. Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, Pustali, ESQ.Marketing, and Sweet Process. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned, and we'll tell you more about them later on. Awesome. Excited to be recording this with you, Zach. Um, we just came out of LabCon, our spring event with all of our Lawyerist Lab members. And there were definitely some themes that came out of that. And I've heard you talk about this concept before, but it's really easy to get overwhelmed by tech, right? And so how do you <laughs> keep up with, like, you have to be innovative and see what's coming out on the market, but then you can also just go, oh, well, we tried this software and now there's something new. So a month later, let's go to this. How do you balance that? Right. Uh, I think a lot of attorneys get into that, you know, you say shiny object syndrome, and I think fear of missing out, you know? Yeah. It can be broken down pretty simply. As with everything in law, the real answer is it depends, but it can be broken down to, do a legal tech audit, have a list of what technology you use and what that technology does for you. And then you can have a better understanding of where you are and where you're going. And then I think more important than that is having an idea of where you want your firm to go, having a three-year plan, sitting down and having an idea of what your journey is going to be and then marrying that technology audit with your future plans every now and then. Yeah. I wonder, how do you keep track of all of the potential inputs, right? Because this is a big part of your job is looking ahead to see what new companies, what new services and features are coming out so that we can recommend it to our audience and help our lab members pivot into the programs that work best for them. How do you balance that between like, oh, this is a super cool new thing I should maybe do you only learn about at certain times a year or do you recommend that people only change their software up once a year or something like that? Well, so my my father always said if it ain't broke don't fix it. I think a lot of times the the idea is unless you have a specific thing that you want to do and your software doesn't accomplish that thing, then go ahead and stick with the the software that you have or the application that you have. That doesn't mean don't be aware of what's out there. I have a database of applications that I keep, that I track, and I add information to it as I get more information. And when something finally does kind of turn that corner and pique my interest, then I will go get a, a demo of it. So keeping an eye on the future, recognizing that there there is software out there that, that you're probably going to change to in the future, but until you have a reason to, there's no reason to go and actually make that jump. So there's kind of two things that you've got. Your active software, keep that in a realistic place, 
but you can separately keep an eye on what software is out there and that can inform your three-year goal or your five-year plan or, or even your, your six-month plan. But what that stuff does is really more to inform the direction that you go in the future. Yeah, that's a great reference tool to go back to as you're thinking about whether it makes sense to switch because if a new feature is only going to save you an hour a month, you're going to lose a lot of time in moving your data over and training your team and figuring out the bugs or the things you don't like about that software. Whereas if it's a feature or a new company that is saving you 10 or 15 hours per month, mm -hmm. that's when you can start to think about, okay, this is going to make it worth the effort of transitioning over. So I like that a lot. And really, if you're saving 10 or 15 hours a month, this is a thing that you probably sat down and thought about, and you probably took a little bit of time to implement, and it is worth taking a moment to vet this, Yeah. to tell your team that it's coming down the pipeline. You don't want to be the person that shows up every Monday and says, guys, we're moving to Google Suite. We're moving to Trello. That's going to get really old for your, your staff very, very quickly. Oh, yeah, that just sounds like a nightmare that to constantly be moving because there's always things that you didn't anticipate when you move. And it's also just a hassle sometimes, right? Like mm -hmm. even when you think it's going to be relatively simple, you've got to prepare for that downtime. It makes me think about when we have to take our website offline, right? And it's like there's always stuff that happens after the fact when we take it back up that there's issues. And then you, you just have to account for okay, this means that people can't use this thing or can't work as quickly or do whatever. So yeah, remember those opportunity costs as well. Absolutely. And I think it gets tricky when you're a solo attorney, when you say, well, I don't have anybody that is relying on me to use a particular technology. And so yes, you can be a little more agile there, but you want to have a three-year plan. You want to have an idea of where you're going with your company. And you definitely want to have a legal tech audit of some sort, a just a, a spreadsheet of what technology you use and what problem it solves for you. And that way, when you go and find something else, you say, well, what does this solve for me? And do I need that solved? So even solos can take their time in jumping from tech to tech. Awesome. Thank you so much for these tips. Of course. Now let's jump into Laura's conversation with Delisi. My name is Delisi Friday, and I am the Director of Marketing and Business Development for Callan Rodriguez Peacock and the producer of the Trial Lawyer Nation podcast. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. I love talking about marketing with other people who are into that. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I know as the marketing director here at Lawyerist, I also coach our Lawyerist lab members on their individual marketing, and we get a lot of the same questions. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to bring in someone else who's an expert in this area and talk about some of the misconceptions, some of the must-dos, talk about when should you hire someone to specifically do marketing and what does that look like. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey into this role as marketing director? Like, has that evolved since you started it? Absolutely. So I actually celebrate six years next month with the firm I'm at now. And what I was doing when I first came on is almost completely different than what I'm doing now. And I think anyone who is in marketing or just business in general knows that it evolves based on what's successful and what's not. And you can't do the same thing over and over. 
So my position has evolved and I think that's where the success came. Yeah. I feel like sometimes there's this perception about what marketing is and then that all gets dumped on the person who maybe gets hired to do the marketing within a law firm, whether it's an outsourced agency or whether it is someone who's working inside the firm or a team of contractors. One of the biggest challenges, right, is when you hire someone for marketing and you expect them to come into this role and fix everything. There's an important process around being intentional of hiring somebody in this role, but also having a plan before they come in. It really shouldn't be, hi, we need lots of help. You need to both develop and deploy the plan immediately to make it happen. And I know that that happens to a lot of people in marketing roles, period, but definitely in law firms. Oh, absolutely. It's not something you just decide overnight. I have an acronym I like to share with people because I always get someone who asks me, how do I find my delivery? And I'm like, well, it's not that simple. So I always tell them, APA, analyze, plan, prepare, action. You have to analyze your firm and think about what's worked, what hasn't. Think about the different types of law that you're practicing. Do you want to stick to those or do you need to evolve? Maybe COVID taught you that family law is really hot or maybe you want to get into probate. Think about your marketing spend. Then think, what is this person going to do? And what am I going to do to measure their success? How can I make them great at their job? Because you can't start a position and market a lawyer or a law firm without getting to know the lawyer and the law firm. So just like you mentioned in your hiring and firing podcast recently, training is so important. And so is coming up with a plan. And then finding out when am I ready to hire that person too? Because I also think in addition to analyzing your business, coming up with a plan and preparing for it, you need to take action when you're ready. So I think some lawyers decide, oh, I'm going to hire someone when things are slow or I'm in a desperate position. It has to be very strategic and you have to be ready for it if you want someone to be successful. So I think that's just as important and also giving them the tools they need to succeed and figuring out how do I know if they're succeeding. Right. There's always a period after you hire somebody, particularly in any type of role like marketing or like sales, it's not going to be an overnight turnaround. And that a lot of that depends too on what you have already built up. What marketing are you already doing? What strategies are you already using to get clients? Because hopefully you already do have clients. It's just too small a number of them. Um, But it's not going to be something where they complete their first week, right? And you're getting tons more phone calls in the second week, or maybe even a couple of weeks later. That's often a disconnect of this idea of, well, because this person knows marketing, they're going to come in and they're going to fix all the things that are broken or do not exist yet. So you, (laughs) you have to have a plan. Do you think there's room there for some leniency in that plan? Because I think a good marketing person can fight back and say, you know, I know you're really saying that you think your number one channel is going to be pay-per-click ads on Google, but knowing your firm and looking at the market and seeing what else is out there and who we're competing against, I don't think that's right. So how do you strike that balance between giving somebody enough of a plan and then also creating an atmosphere where they can push back a little bit? I think part of that is trust. I am more open about giving pushback to my boss now than I was when I first started this role six years ago. I also think that's a two-way street. So lawyers should think to themselves, okay, 
I wouldn't want my marketing director to give me advice on what motion I should be filing on this case. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't say my plan is the best plan if I'm not the marketing professional. And I say that with the utmost respect to everyone listening to this podcast, but it's something where you both have to respect each other enough to have an open conversation about what's realistic and what's not. Yeah. I often find that there is an attempt to blend skills that do not always come together in the same person. I was telling you before we started recording, I recently recorded our an episode with our own director of operations about hiring an admin. And we have seen some attorneys that seem to think that an admin assistant and a marketing person are one and the same. I think for the most part, they're very different skills and they should also be paid differently. So having someone who's being paid as an admin to do marketing work or be expected to get up to speed with marketing work is not always the best fit. So I think that was a really important point that you made around you're hiring a professional. So whether it's someone that is a little more junior and needs some training to get up to speed, but has the potential to learn that and start implementing things on their own, you do have to develop that trust in them. Some baseline of it has to be available. And I think it's a mistake to say, well, this person does other administrative tasks for me and they do them well. So I can just teach them how to do the marketing things. I mean, I'm open to totally being wrong on that as well, but it's just my general perception. If people could see the video, they would see my head just <laughs> nodding the whole time because, and I will share a personal experience. We had an employee who we no longer needed in her legal assistant position at the office. She was a great employee, but we were growing our offices in other cities and just didn't have a need for her in that city anymore. So we said, you know what? She's got a great attitude. Let's see if she could be in our marketing department. And I learned in that moment that just because someone is great at a role in your office does not mean their skills can roll over to marketing because marketing is very different than what you're expecting your legal assistant or your paralegal or your office manager to do. They're completely different skills. And there's also a big communication, whether it's oral communication or speaking that comes into play with marketing and also great interpersonal skills as well and analysis and just the foundations of marketing that someone needs to understand that are required. So to anyone who is thinking, you know what, I think I'm just going to have our admin start to do some marketing too. I would advise Maybe you don't do that. Maybe you hire a part-time person or maybe you hire an intern who's in school right now for marketing instead because they're two very different roles. And I, I went through that myself and I've seen other lawyers do the same. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I feel like if someone asked me to step into a role like building website code and doing development and I had no idea how to do it, I would feel immense amount of pressure. Like, oh boy, this isn't something I even know if I want to do. And now I have to learn it and it's my boss and they want me to do it. And I could make more money or get more hours. You don't really want your employees or anyone you're working with a contractor to, to be put in that position. And I think one of the key ways to think about 
you know, there are some things that an admin can do that are, they can schedule things on your social media scheduler. Absolutely. But should they be defining the social media strategy and crafting the copy that goes behind it? Maybe not. And so that's the line I like to use of, are you asking this person to do things where they're both creating and implementing the strategy? Because at minimum, the creation needs to be somebody who has an interest and experience in marketing. So I love that. So now we know who not to hire. So <laughs> hopefully everybody avoids making that mistake. Let's talk about how do you know if this is an internal hire? Is there a you know kind of framework you can use to say, oh, this is when you can you just need an agency to implement stuff, or this is when you need a part-time contractor who just does certain marketing tasks? I'm curious, you know, you work as a marketing director specifically in that firm. So I'm curious what you think about that. So I think the answer to that is very specific to the law firm who is considering it. So just as a little background, when I came on board, I had a legal marketing company that hired me and helped me create our marketing strategy when I began my position. Then we parted ways. And when I was in my position, we found I needed some extra help because I don't have design skills. So do I use Canva for free? Do we hire a contract graphic designer? Do I have an agency? we decided let's hire an agency. And that's the way we stayed for probably three or four years until we made the decision to go all in-house. I think the road from agency to in-house marketing department for lawyers is very different for each attorney. And it goes back to that APA that I had described, analyze, plan, prepare, action. That's where you're deciding this information in analyze. If you're thinking about your marketing spend, then you should also be thinking about how much money it's going to cost you to either A, hire a person internally or B, hire an agency. For some people, it makes more sense to hire an agency because you get exactly what you want and you have specific projects you want them to work on. For some people, it might make more sense to do maybe like a marketing internship with a student at a college who can start to ease you into a consistent marketing strategy. Maybe they start out with social media. Maybe you like them and when they graduate, they become a full-time employee. It's really gonna be different for everyone. So I think you decide what's best for you based on a few things. One, do you already have a marketing plan in place? If you don't, my suggestion would be to reach out to an agency to help you start to craft one. Or if you feel confident enough in doing that on your own or just hiring someone on a part-time or internship basis, you can craft that along the way without hiring an agency. If you hire someone internally, don't forget to think about all the other overhead costs that might come with that outside of just hiring that person and what's their salary gonna be. Because hiring someone in your office as a marketing professional might need to include a graphic designer because you need to create images for social media, or maybe you have to hire a company to help you with video. There's a lot of different things that not every marketing professional is going to have as tools in their toolbox, right? So I would think a big part of it is whether or not you have your own marketing strategy already in place, and also your budget. Those are really critical in trying to make that decision. And for me, I'm really happy that we had an agency before I brought everyone in-house because it gave me a chance 
to have the team I needed to figure out what's going to work for me and how do we get in our groove and how do we become successful. So when I started my in-house marketing team, gosh, we rocked it. I mean, we absolutely rocked it. And I was like, oh, we could be our own agency. We're phenomenal. <laughs> but it was because I had already figured out what was working, what didn't. I had a plan. It was great. So it, it's really just specific to each lawyer and where they're at in their marketing. I'm so glad you brought up marketing plans because you should not be doing any marketing without a plan. And I'm writing blogs and doing webinars is not a plan. That's the first that comes up on so many calls. Someone will say, well, I'm doing this, or I know I should be on TikTok. And my next question is, okay, well, what are we measuring as a success from that? You know, if you're posting on social media, is it engagements? Is it heading over to your website and filling out a chat box? Is it them picking up the phone and calling you? What are the metrics that match with the strategy? Because it's not just enough to do the things. Our president, Stephanie, calls this random acts of marketing, right? Like, please don't do the random acts of marketing and then go, why isn't this working? Because it's random. (laughs) You did a webinar and then four months later, you did another one and then said, webinars don't work, right? (laughs) So it's just, you have to have a strategy, whether you're with an agency, whether you hire someone in office, it also gives you a baseline to measure. I often hear this sense of, I don't think things are working. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? Like, do you have solid evidence behind why you think something is not working? You know, the phone rang two times and you invested $1,000 in a lead service. Okay, that's data that we can use to make a decision. But if you're not tracking it and mapping it back to that strategy, that's going to be a big problem. How did your firm decide to go in-house? What were the factors that that made it seem like that was the right time to go all in? I think the moment we decided to go in-house was almost forced upon us. And I say that because each year we analyze our marketing and we decide what's working and what's not so we can plan the following year and be successful because we always have to analyze what we're doing and put more money towards what's working, take away money from what's not in order to continue on this path. With our agency, we had a conversation where we said, hey, we're doing this wonderful magazine. It was a beautiful magazine. It was all business to business, articles relating to lawyers. And truth be told, it cost us $60,000 a year to do that. Printing, time, money, all of it. While it was very beautiful, it did not bring us a single case. And I think you've mentioned it several times before on this podcast, and anyone who is in business knows this, you need to figure out what are your KPIs? How can I figure out what is my return on investment? We were investing $60,000 a year into something that people thought was beautiful. But did that bring us a case? At the end of the day, What checks am I depositing into my account that came from that magazine? What new business was formed? And there wasn't anything. When we had that conversation with our agency, we had different views. In our view, that meant we tried something. It didn't work. We tried something else. In their view, it meant if you make it bigger and you do more of it, it will work. And that's where we felt differently. So when we decided that's not working. What are we going to do instead? We wrote down all the things that were successful and how we were going to do it the next year. And at that point, I realized, you know, if I have a graphic designer and if I have an assistant, 
I can do this. We don't need a full service agency because we've spent years crafting what our marketing strategy is. And we're at a point now where we can analyze what's working, what's not. And if something's not working, we pivot, we do something else and we're confident in it. And that's where we made the decision to part ways and go in-house. But again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it was because we had the confidence in what we were doing. We had already tested certain strategies. They were working and we knew we could do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets to this idea too of what works for one firm doesn't necessarily work for another. Even if you're in the same area, even if you're in the same practice area, it doesn't always match exactly. So there could be someone listening to this podcast going, well, we did the magazine thing and it's getting us tremendous results, right? So until you have that marketing strategy and you've set the KPIs and defined, this is what a win looks like for us. Because for some people, if you do a webinar and only 10 people show up, but two of them always purchase a $2,000 estate planning package, that could be a win. That's a well-spent couple hours of your time, right? But it doesn't work the same from one firm to another. And so I think shiny object syndrome is another thing. Oh, well, I heard so-and-so is doing this on YouTube. And I see this person is using only chatbots on their website. And it's fine for you to test things like your firm did. You tested something and then you sat down at the end of that experiment and said, did this work? And we're ready to make the hard call of saying this didn't work if it really didn't because you had data to pull from that. You had data of how much this cost, how much time we put into it. And we didn't see anything out of it that we felt was a win. And that I think that's a really important point. Absolutely. And you bring up a good point. The magazine didn't work for us, but I know plenty of lawyers who do one and it is their most successful marketing strategy at their firm. And it is different for everyone. It's just about finding what works for you. We're going to keep talking about things you maybe should or shouldn't do in marketing. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Support for today's broadcast comes from Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill-in-the-blank fields using a quick abbreviation. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Get your message right every time by expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with a few keystrokes. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's broadcast comes from Postali. Building the next powerhouse law firm takes hard work and an entrepreneurial spirit. But some skills escape even the savviest of attorneys. To reach new heights in your legal practice, you need a genuine marketing partner, one that tells you where you are now and where your firm could go. Postali works with law firms nationwide, and their trademarked marketing fiduciary services sets them apart from every other vendor that's cold calling or flooding your inbox. Whether it's informal guidance about things you can do today or a big-picture approach to law firm expansion, Postali is perfect for business-minded attorneys with an eye on the future. No matter where you are in your journey, Postali is the full-service, strategic marketing partner that grows with your firm. To learn more about the services Postali offers, visit 
bustali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from esq.marketing, an agency that provides successful SEO strategies for every stage of your practice. You will work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts. There are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with, no lost in translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's episode comes from Sweet Process. Sweet Process is software that enables companies to have a central place for all their procedures, processes, and policies. It makes it easy for management, managers, and their ground-level employees to collaborate on and continuously improve these documents together. Sweet Process becomes the one source of truth, the one place where every employee, regardless of their role or team in the company, can go to find information on how work is done. Sweet Process makes it easy to train new and existing employees because your documented procedures are already in Sweet Process. So, when employees are getting tasks done, the instructions are right in front of them. Sweet Process offers a 14-day free trial, but by using our dedicated sign-up link, you can extend that to 28 days. Just visit www.sweetprocess.com forward slash lawyerist to sign up now. No credit card is required. Okay, so I'm glad we're in this part of the discussion now because this is something that you and I have chatted about, not while recording, right? Um, This idea of finding what works for you and deciding when you can walk away from a strategy entirely. So the example of the magazine is a great segue into this. I've been having this conversation a lot with a few lawyers recently. I did a coaching call with a lab member last week who said, you know, I've diligently tried with digital marketing. I just don't get leads from it. My referrals business though, when I put energy into my referrals, I have consistent business. It's the most qualified cases. It's the best clients to work with. And I feel like there's this pressure around digital marketing in general, but specifically around things like, oh, I should start a podcast and that'll be super easy, (laughs) right? And then it turns out that maybe that's not the lead driver or it's way more involved than you thought. So can you talk a little bit, I know your firm tried digital marketing and then made some decisions based on that about where you wanted to spend your marketing energy and dollars instead. Absolutely. First, not everything is going to work. I tell lawyers the only regret I want them to have is not trying something. Legal marketing is just like when you're in court. I wish they could harness that energy when a judge denies your motion and you have to go right into your next motion and argue it after you've been shut down. That same professionalism and drive and character is legal marketing. So the judge denies your first motion. Oh, well, get over it. Go on to the next one. You want it. Great. There's still a chance you can do this. That same scenario applies to legal marketing. You might try something and you don't do well at it. That doesn't mean you should stop. It means you keep going and you try something else. Digital marketing is a great example of that. When I came on, I did a lot of digital marketing. We had an agency and we spent a rather healthy six-figure amount in digital marketing because we wanted to have skin in the game. 
I'm in a very highly competitive area in one of the top 10 largest cities in the country. So if I want to play ball, I've got to have a lot of money out there because all my competitors are going to have a lot of money out there too. Was it successful? No. I managed all those leads that came in from digital marketing. I realized there were so many leads that I had to hire an intake specialist because our receptionist couldn't handle enough, which was another cost on top of that. And the leads were not quality leads. And I got maybe five cases that year from our digital marketing effort. So whenever someone talks about digital marketing, I tell them just recognize that it's competitive and that you need to think about how much money you're willing to invest. Make sure you feel comfortable with the idea that you may not get a return on your investment and recognize that because it's competitive and always changing, you probably need to hire a professional to help you. And again, just recognize that what works for one firm may not work for someone else. I tried it. Digital marketing gets a lot of people business. It did it for us. And what we recognized after that was our best cases that brought us in the most money were from other lawyers. So we pivoted from business to consumer to business to business. And now that is all we do. 95, legitimately 95% of our business comes from other lawyers. The other 5% are random people who are referred to us by friends and family. And it changed. I never would have thought that's how we'd be marketing, but you have to figure out what works for you. And you had the ability to do that because you were tracking. And that goes back to what we were talking about before the break. You have to have a way of tracking everything so that you can tell when something is a win. I think a really good quality of any person who works in marketing is they have to be not afraid to fail. You have to be willing to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to try this and I'm setting this budget and this is the timeline and I may be dead wrong about what I'm about to do. And that's why I've put it in nice little boundaries and said, we're going to do it for a month or three months or whatever it might be. Sometimes there can be a clash between different personality styles. Like it's definitely frustrating when you try something with marketing and it doesn't work, but it's also, I'd rather spend $500 to try something and learn that it didn't work and be able to say, we are officially released from having to try that as a marketing method. Might work for others, doesn't work for us rather than just keep throwing money at the problem and expecting ROI. So I think sometimes there's a clash between people who work in marketing and maybe someone else in the firm that's saying, well, what's my exact ROI? Because it's not always going to be positive. You have to be willing to give someone the liberty to say, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try it in a really conservative way. We're going to put as little skin in the game as we can to see if we get traction here. And if we don't, it's nobody's fault. And we're going to walk away from it and say, we tried that. But the more data you have, the more you can look at the things that are actually working. And if it's not digital marketing, if it's not some aspect of digital marketing, like Facebook ads, just because everyone else seems to be doing it, you don't need to. I think that comes up a lot with Facebook ads, particularly because people are like, oh, all I need to do is throw money into that. Well, for certain practice areas, it works really well. You can target someone who may be in the market for estate planning or business formation documents pretty well. 
but not so much maybe on the criminal or the divorce side. You know, there's not really metrics inside Facebook where we can capture that type of thing. So you don't have to feel pressure to do it just because everyone else is. But I love like, I can tell we're of a similar mind where it's like, sure, I'll try it. And I'm going to do the best, the best trial I can on it. But I also am not going to feel bad personally or feel like we've failed as a team if something just doesn't work out and, and we can document that and move on from it. I think that was something I had to learn throughout my professional career as well. Just like lawyers, I am very competitive. I like to win. When I have something that is not successful, because I hate using the word failure. Right. When I have something that's not successful, I tell myself, what did I learn from this? There is a reason why this didn't work and I'm going to find out why. So I just think that sometimes it's also about your headspace and just thinking about it a little bit differently. Don't focus on, man, I lost money in this. Think about, oh man, you know what? I just saved money by finding out this doesn't work and not spending two years on it. Try and think about it like that instead. And just remember if you're talking to your colleague and he or she said, you know what? I did this and it worked. That doesn't mean that it's going to work for you because I know a lot of lawyers who get together and they have these brainstorm sessions and they all talk about what's working and what's not. And sometimes they try and do what someone else did thinking, oh, it'll work for me, but just remember it, it might not. And that's okay. Yeah. There's a great concept from the world of startup companies that applies here, and it's this idea of failing fast. You want to fail as fast and as cheaply as you can before you're years into it, before you are tens or hundreds of thousand dollars into something. So don't be afraid to try things, track them, however, and then be willing to go back and look at the data and take all the other things into consideration too, right? Like maybe something halfway worked, but it drove all of your team members crazy and involved so much more time than they ever thought. Those are metrics you want to think about too in going, does this still make sense? Like, yes, we could market this. Yes, we could start a podcast, but that's going to cost us a lot of money to produce. And then we have to hire an additional person to be the podcast producer. And we have to pay an audio editor and all those types of things. So you've got to really think about every aspect of it and be willing to walk away when it's not a fit. Now, the last question I have for you is the one that I hate getting the most. So I'm going to try, try to ask it in the least annoying way. ROI. A lot of times attorneys really want to focus on this. How soon am I going to see ROI? How many leads am I going to get from this? How much money can I get from something? I'm just curious from your perspective, when you implement campaigns or a new strategy, how do you set up that period of defining when you can expect to see ROI? You know, is it, I mean, I'm sure it's different per strategy, but how do you think about it? Like, I think it will be helpful for our listeners to hear how somebody in marketing thinks through that process and why the question of, well, will I start making money in two months or two weeks is, is maybe the wrong question to be asking the wrong way to be thinking about it. So I think the answer to that is two parts. First, I measure my return on investment differently for each marketing strategy. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We have our Trial Lawyer Nation podcast. My ROI is going to be how many people downloaded that podcast. Did anyone contact us about something in that podcast afterwards? 
and compare that to previous episodes. And, and that's something simple, specific for a podcast. Another thing that we do is we host CLEs for attorneys. So my marketing strategy is getting people to attend those seminars. And my ROI is twofold. One, how many people are in the room? It's not going to be as successful as I want if I don't fill that room or in the era of COVID, virtual space, right? And then the second part of that is how many of those attorneys in the room contacted us to partner on a case after? And then did we accept that case? So I think each marketing strategy should be different and realistic based on what you want. If you're someone who's going to do a lot more social media, then maybe your ROI is how many people engage in those social media posts. If you're redoing your website, maybe your ROI is how many people visited your website before you did a redesign and how many people visited after. Maybe your marketing strategy is, I want to be on the speaker circuit more. I want lawyers to know who I am. So maybe your ROI is how many presentations did you give this year? So I think your ROI is just going to be different for each strategy as it should be. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I also think with different campaigns that you run or different strategies that you use, you can attract different people. So I am willing to pay far more on a paid advertising strategy that brings me in the most qualified lead if I have to pay $8 or $10 to get that person to do that and take one of my actions in my funnel that is farther along down the line, like attending a webinar or completing the small firm scorecard or examples from lawyerists, that's okay. That's not a loss because that person is actually, those are indicators that we've pulled out as saying, oh, this person is really qualified. So you're willing to pay more or exert more time to get a different kind of a lead. And so you can be wrong about your KPIs too, right? You can set them and then say, actually, that didn't capture the thing that was most important. We got five new clients, but they were all like $400 one hour things. And that wasn't really, that isn't really what we want to target anymore. So it goes back to that idea of give yourself the freedom to back away from it, to adjust your KPIs. I love that. I know you have more to say on this topic though. And I'm nodding my head a lot because the funny part is you sometimes have to change how you measure that success. And I'll give you an example. When I was doing my marketing two years ago, I measured my success on how many new potential clients came into the office and how many cases we got to look at from other lawyers. That's how I measured it. And I thought at the end of the year, when we measured how successful our marketing was for that year, that we rocked it. But in that meeting, my boss said, no, those numbers aren't what we should really be measuring because we should be measuring the ones that we signed up. In my mind, I was measuring it the way we should be, but I didn't realize until we talked it out, I should have been measuring the cases that we signed up. So that number was a little bit deceiving and not the right measurement I should have been looking for. So please keep in mind that it's totally okay for you to think, oh, I should measure success this way. And it, you can change that if you realize maybe that's not the best way to measure success. Mm -hmm. You always have to start somewhere. Even if your numbers are all wrong and you pick five KPIs and you end up changing all five KPIs down the line, it's that starting point because 
at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. And it is your best estimate as this is the set of numbers that I would like to track and reflect back on. There's nothing wrong with changing them. There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, that was a really good starting point. But now that we know how many phone calls we're getting or how many potential new cases we're getting, let's dig a little deeper because now we're experienced at tracking these KPIs and we're getting better data. So let's take it down one further level to figure out what kinds of cases we are getting. And that's really something that you can evolve on a quarterly basis. And some KPIs you may keep for years and others you may adjust, others you may delete entirely. But I think it's that important starting point of capture something, be willing to be wrong, right? And then use that data to make informed decisions. Because I don't think it's anybody's fault. I mean, we do this on our team a lot. We'll go, was that really the right number to give that person to report in on a weekly basis? Is that the metric that we really care about? Or is that kind of like a a throwaway, or like you said, it's deceiving. It's not telling us the entire story because it's one thing to pick KPIs that you know you're good at (laughs) and just go, oh, that one's like set it and forget it. I know I'll hit it all the time. And there's value in choosing other ones that may be way below your targets to start with. And it's that motivation to keep working towards it too. Yes. I think the important thing is just to have them because I know so many lawyers who do something and they don't know how they're going to measure success. They're like, success in my mind is doing this. And I'm like, is it? Because you don't know how successful it is until you find a way to measure it. So yes, maybe success for you is doing it because you haven't done something consistently, but let's take it a step further. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so pleased that we were able to connect and talk about these important topics. This is going to be a really great episode for our listeners. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.